I'm Katie, mom to two littles and four angel babies. With a PhD and over a decade spent unraveling how our society shapes mom's experiences, I am here to shred the rule books and their relentless tide of expectations. In this safe space, the complexities of motherhood find a candid, unfiltered voice. We're Undefining Motherhood, one conversation at a time. When we think of moms as default parents and dads as babysitters, everybody loses. And yet, this norm remains. When dads meet up for a golf day, no one asks who's watching the kids. But when moms manage to leave the house without little ones in tow, it's a question we hear constantly. In this episode, we talk about how we got here, how sick moms and dads both are of this double standard why it's a problem for parents of all gender identities and sexualities, and institutional changes we desperately need to better support all parents. This conversation is so important, and it's also just the beginning. Today, we're telling our own stories and talking about desperately needed social changes to better support parents. Then, be sure to join us for our next two episodes, where we're talking with New York Times best-selling author Eve Rodsky about active steps we can take in our homes today to make all of our lives better, happier, and more equitable. When mom is watching the kids, mm-hmm. she's being a mom, mm-hmm. right? But when dad is watching the kids, he's babysitting? Like, that's not acceptable. And even dads are sick of it. Yeah, totally. I would be too if I were them. I Their mean, parents. It, it, it's insane. Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. So my six-year-old Jack has been asking me for more mommy time. So I took him on a little date, just the two of us. And it was a very sweet. Um, and we ran into someone who we know at dinner. And like, she knows our entire family. She is very familiar with us. We know her family well. And they're lovely people. It wasn't ill-intended. It, this is just how ingrained it is, right? She saw me with Jack and was like, oh, it's, you know, so great to see you out together. Who's watching the baby? <laughs> you just left her at home. And I just like literally <laughs> just looked around the table for a minute for her to see the empty seats with no plates. And she was like, what? Oh, my gosh, your husband's not here. Mm. He's with her. Mm. Like the default was for her to think, of course, the mom should have both children, even though she knows I have a very involved husband. Mm-hmm. And so it just really, really struck me. Um how ingrained it is for us to think about, you yeah, know, especially for another woman to ask you that question. Another right? woman like, who yeah. is also a mom who also has a very involved yeah. partner. So, like, you know, I, I think it was as much a slip of the tongue as it was anything. But that in of itself is what speaks to how deeply ingrained this is, right? Um, my friend Jason, like, talk, he just gets furious about this and goes on these tirades on social media about stop calling dads babysitters because 
they're just doing their jobs too. And I think I think there's so much we need to talk about in that because there are so many gendered issues and expectations of who's going to take on what role. Um, you know, I actually, right before we recorded this episode, I, I even asked my husband, like, hey, do you ever get this? How do you feel about it? And the video producer who was in the room <laughs> chimed in and was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I like, I get this too. And it's so frustrating. Like, we're not looking for praise for being parents because we're parents and that's our job. So I think this is just, it's a crazy thing to think about. And I don't know, we need to talk about it. Like what do you- I'm ready, let's go. What do we need to talk about in this? Well, I think it has to do with, you know, this sort of cultural shift that um, men, millennial men in particular, have been raised to be a part of the household, which is amazing, right? Like- um, they've been raised to put away their laundry and, you know, do all of these things Some that maybe like Gen X and boomers haven't, right? Some of them have, but yeah. many of them haven't. Sure. Um, and that's extended to parenting, but society still looks at the mother as the primary parent, right? Yes. Like, why are we still there? That's it. The mother as the default, default parent. Yeah. Yes. And, oh, that is that is so true. And that comes down, I think, in so many ways to this idea of the mental load, right? Mm -hmm. And who's carrying that mental load. So my husband is super involved, dad. um, And he, we don't all, like, we don't adhere to necessarily the gender roles. He's really the cook in our family. I do the laundry because I'm obsessive and don't trust him to sort my colors properly. Um, But that's really on me more than it's on him. Mm -hmm. But even still... We get these questions and these comments of, oh, he's being such a good dad for doing this thing. Wouldn't it be nice if someone told you you're a good mom for doing the laundry? Like, oh, wouldn't it be— Can I get a sticker? Wouldn't it be nice? Could that be a thing? Like, you did the laundry today. Go, mama. Or, like, you spent time with your child. Good job, mom. Like, I want—we talked about T-shirts. I kinda, mm-hmm. I, I want that mm-hmm. as my coffee mug. I want the T-shirt from the last episode, and then I want my coffee mug to be I like—, like you loved your kids today. Way to Excellent. go, Mama. You rocked it. You didn't kill anyone. Yeah. Um, plus. But even in that kind of household, like, there's still the expectation that he's kind of going to be the babysitter. And there is still that mental load. Like, if you asked him, well, what's Jack's school schedule? We're recording this mm-hmm. right before Christmas holidays. Jack has three days left of school before Christmas break. And I guarantee you, if you ask Sean, what's Jack's schedule? He has it on his calendar, and he could figure it out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But I know it off the top of my head because I'm the one who put it on the calendar. Right. And so, like, yeah, we're we're still dealing with these things. But I think we need to really look at this both from the female angle and the male one, right? Like, wh- Yeah. I mean, even when we were talking about it before recording this, like, every man in this room was like, yeah, but I don't like that. I right? don't yeah. like that. I don't. It doesn't serve them to be called babysitters either. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't serve them to be babysitters. It serves them to be acknowledged for doing a good job parenting. at parenting. Yeah. And it serves us to be acknowledged yep. for doing a good job at parenting. And really, neither of us mm-hmm. are getting what, what we need, need here. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also how, like, heteronormative this idea is. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like, what happens? I'd love to get your thoughts on this um, because I know, like, kids are possibly in your future, um, and you and your partner have talked about that. Like, 
what are some of the things that you see in the lesbian community? Or, I mean, you know, we also even need to think about, like, gay dads or, mm -hmm. you know, when there are two dads in the picture, are they both, How like— How do they split household chores? How do they or are they separately yeah. being praised in public for being good babysitters <laughs> and then having Probably. to explain, like, no, there's right. no mom at home. Like, this is—I'm a dad. This is my job. It's so interesting. So what, like— what do you see happening in sort of these expectations as it relates to that particular community? Yeah. Well, I think one good part about being a part of the queer community, I mean, there's so many things that are really, really difficult, um, especially living in Alabama. Um, but one good part about being in a relationship with another woman is that the relationship or the landscape of chores flattens. Yes. Right? Because we each have been brought up to anticipate someone else's needs. Yes. Right? So if I know she has a long day ahead, then I stop by the store to get dinner. Um, last night, she helped me pack for this trip to Atlanta. Um, it's just always kind of a give and take without ever having to ask, mm. which is really, it's really helpful, right? Like yes. I don't have to think about what I need from her. She just does it. Right. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of where the gap comes in with men, right? Is they're trained to be millennial men are trained to be and and Gen Z too is going to be amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Gen Z will probably just solve all our problems, <laughs> but they're trained to be helpful, but they're not trained to anticipate what we need a lot of times. And right. you know, while people want to know how to help men, I've heard my friends and my sister say. Uh, a lot of their partners just say, well, make me a list, you know, make me a I list. will, I will do anything if you just put it on the list, oh but the list is work, right? Like the it list takes is work to mental write the list. load. Yeah. So, you know, what that brings me back to is when Jack was a newborn um, and I was exclusively pumping, he couldn't latch. And so like, if you have never exclusively pumped before, let me just tell you that you are taking on a new full-time job. Yes, and I remember so, that for you. Oh, my yeah. God. So, you're just always hooked up. You're always hooked up to a pump. And, you know, ba newborn babies, they eat every two to three hours. And so if you're nursing, you already are taking on a full-time job. But if you're pumping, then you're both having to pump and make the milk while the baby is not in your arms. So where are they going to be? Someone has to help you or hopefully maybe you have a baby who will let you put them down to nap. And then you still have to feed them. So you're doing even more work, I think. Like, it's—those are the moms who I just feel the most for in the postpartum period. And I remember one night, we had done Jack's last feed before bed. Uh, of course, before bed was relative, right? Because he was itty-bitty. This was in the first two or three weeks of his yeah. life. So he was still waking up three or four times a night. Um, but we had done the last feed before bed. I was hooked up to the pump, which was always the last thing I did before I went to bed. And John said, I'm going to go to bed. Oh, no. And I was like looking around at all the things that needed to be done. And I was like, "I'm so. what, what do you mean you're going to go to bed? And he was like, I'm going to go to bed. And I was like, do you not see everything here that needs to be done and he was like no i don't see anything mm -hmm. and that was infuriating to me now i also had postpartum anxiety so let's not pretend that the fury wasn't heightened right, yeah. by you know a few extra steps but i said 
we have to feed this baby bottles overnight. We know how many bottles we need. We need them divided in the refrigerator with the right amount of milk in the order we're going to use them. We need the, you know, the labels created for the milk I'm pumping now. There is a whole container over there of pump parts that need to be sanitized because I'm going to have to get up in the middle of the night and pump just like I'm doing right now. And he said, well, if you'll make me a list of what needs to be done, I'll do it. Did your head explode? I mean, I don't remember exactly how I responded, but I know I responded in a way where he said, I think it's best that I leave the room now. <laughs> um, and he did leave the room. And then he came back. And this was... 2017, right? So, like, we're in the digital age very much so, but we didn't have quite the level of capabilities on our phones that we do now. So, now we could just do this in, like, Apple Notes. Yeah. But he came back and he said, okay, I have found this app called AnyList. And what it does is it lets us share lists together because you couldn't share notes yet um, at the time. And I am going to sit down with you right now while you finish pumping and we're going to make a list. Together of everything that needs to be done before bed every single night. So he and, handled it. He totally handled and, it. And he said, I understand you don't want to have to dictate this list to me, but I need you to understand that I don't know I what know to put on, on the list. Like, I've already put the things you mentioned, but what else is there? What is the stuff that's stressing you? Because what I was seeing in this moment was that he was going to go to bed. And leave you to do it. And leave me to do it. And I was going to be up an extra hour when I was already exhausted and sleep-deprived and going through all of this. And so we made the list together. And what ended up happening in turn was that John went to bed maybe half an hour later every night than he had been before. And I went to bed a full hour earlier than Amazing. I had been yeah. before, which is huge. It's huge postpartum. And the list changed over time, but, like, that list was the best thing that could have happened to our partnership after that baby was born. And it's something I recommend to moms in our pregnancy planner, making your list. Here are things to put on your shared list because, like, we want to do that mental load for them, right? But it is going to change over time. But I think that speaks volumes to what we're talking about Mm. is we we want these— equal partnerships because the dads aren't the babysitters the partners aren't the babysitters and they're also not other children no in the household they're equal partners or at least we're trying to make them Mm -hmm. that way um do you really think that millennial men were raised to carry an equal load like on average i mean that's a generalization right Right, but like i don't know about like Carrying an equal load, but I think if you look, you know, if you start with boomers and then you look at Absolutely. Gen X and then you look at millennial men, yes, there's so many millennial men who are really involved in a way that their Gen X dads and their boomer grandparents Absolutely. Um, were less involved, right? Yeah, and I see a lot, John, a lot of my friends' husbands, my sister's husband, yes, so involved, so caring, so loving, um, but there's just some small disconnect that's still making equality in the relationship in terms of what you you physically contribute to it difficult 
Right? I, I think that's right. I think so. I've heard this statistic. I don't know where it came from, so this hasn't been fact checked. But I've heard this statistic that we overestimate our own role in our home by seventy percent, and we underestimate our partner's role by thirty percent. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so it actually takes like really hard conversations where you sit down and you break mm-hmm. everything out to figure out what the load actually is. Because I don't think John does as much as he does, and I think I do more than I do, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's some truth to that. But I think this also goes back to what we were talking about in the last episode of what the generations ahead of us are teaching. And so it depends on, like, who grew up in what kind of household and what the roles were there. Um, yeah, I sure. saw a very active dad, and I noticed that my brother is an extremely active partner, and, like, gender roles in his household are kind of reversed from what we're used to in many ways. But— You know, one thing I think of, like, with John is that, like, he does our cooking. He does a lot of our cleaning. He does a lot of those domestic tasks. But then when it comes to the mental load of things like groceries, he's not a great grocery shopper. Unless it's at Costco because he's totally obsessed with Costco. So he's gotten a lot better there. Um, Non-sponsored. But the reason, not sponsored, not sponsored (laughs) by Costco. um, But the reason for it is because, and this is hilarious, I hope he doesn't mind me telling this story, when he was a teenager and was old enough to drive and run errands, his grandmother lived with them. And so his mom and grandmother would make the grocery list, and then his grandmother would actually draw him a map of (laughs) Of the the grocery grocery store. (laughs) And so she would draw the little map that would say, like, this is where you're going to get this, and this is where you're going to get that. And so— At first, I didn't like sending him to the grocery store because he would call me a million times with questions. And so we also, it's funny because we we kind of come up with like, where do we all have our strengths and weaknesses from how we were raised, from what we're good at? Um, he's really good at meal planning. Meal planning makes me want to like, my head's going to explode, right? So that's something that he can do. And he can make the grocery lists and he, he can do the shopping if it's at Costco. Mm. And now he can do the shopping anywhere. Uh, but, you know, early in our 20s, this was like a legit thing early and our marriage was like, okay, you can't go to the grocery store. Got it. Um, so it was the kind, something we had to learn. And I think it's this interesting balance that we're all finding in our partnerships of like what needs to be changed and where do we find the balance. But the hard part is talking about it yeah, and yeah. like not sounding accusatory or like you're sure. blaming exactly. someone. Yeah, because you want to acknowledge what they're bringing to the table, right? Like yeah. you want to say like – Thank you for all this work that you're doing. Also, I would love to not have to think about the work that you're doing. Right. And also, thank you for being a good parent and not a good babysitter. (laughs) Because that's that's the job. This episode is sponsored exclusively by Genate by Snip Therapeutics, providing genetics-powered nutrition tailored for every stage of the fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum journeys. With Gene, it's not just about a single product or service. It's about a journey toward optimal maternal and fetal health. From their insightful Gene test to their meticulously formulated prenatal vitamin, every step is a leap forward in maternal care. My own journey with Gene has been transformative, bringing a sense of control and peace in an often unpredictable time. They are changing the game in prenatal nutrition, and I'm proud to be part of the movement to provide personalized health care for every mother out there. 
Learn more at undefiningmotherhood.com forward slash genate and use code undefining10 for 10% off. So we went a little deeper than we meant to maybe on the mental load there, but that's okay. Um, You know, I think what we really want to talk about here is this main questions that moms are getting asked, right? Who's watching the kids? And this idea that dads are the babysitters, the moms are the default parent. Um, And one thing I really do want to hear a little more of before we dive even more into this is kind of what you're anticipating, um, because it's such a heteronormative assumption and question. And, you know, you and your partner are considering possibly having kids. What are you anticipating in terms of questions people might ask you that might feel invasive or (laughs) difficult um, that are common? Well, I could spend a long time on invasive questions that uh, people ask same-sex couples. But um, (laughs) yeah, I think it's in terms of parenting and, you know, thinking about the kinds of questions that we might get asked if we have kids. The issue is, you know, like whose baby is that? right? Like, is it your baby? Is it her baby? Did you use a donor that you didn't know? Did you use a known donor? Yes. You know, Um, you know, it's, it's more just like, whose is that? You know, yes. Where a family is a family and it will be our baby. Right. And the question is not, you know. It, it doesn't matter no, so yeah. much who biologically is the one right. who yeah. provided the egg. Yep. Or even if either of you True. Yeah. biologically provided the right. egg. Wow. And yeah. if the person who carries the baby, if it's not her egg, you still epigenetically influence the 100%. child's characteristics. So. You know, it's just one of those questions that's invasive and completely unnecessary. Right. You know. Oh, my god! It makes everybody feel bad, just like the question, who's babysitting the kid, makes dads feel bad. Right. right? You know? Exactly. We're not here to bash men, but we are just saying that the conversation needs to change if— we're going to stop asking people these questions. Right. The conversation needs to change. We need to be more aware of the questions that we're asking. And we need to just really kind of take that, I always call it like ghost of Christmas past style. We need to take that like overview look where like, let's stand up and watch ourselves about to say what we want to say and evaluate where did this come from? What is my intention in asking Uh, And how might this impact the person? Have empathy, right? Yes. Have empathy for John, who, like, even though he may not have been the best at grocery store exploration. When he was 23. Amazing. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, I think it's really important that we talk about this. And this dads as babysitters thing is one that really, really gets me. Um, You know, obviously, there is that heteronormative angle, which we're trying to touch on. But I think there's also the fact that. I think this is something in our cultural narrative that does harm to both men and to women, Mm. right? Because it sets the mom up as the default parent. The assumption is that she's going to be the one the kids run to when they cry. Mm -hmm. She's going to be the one who is keeping up with the school schedules. I can tell you from personal experience when it comes time for – you know, buying gifts for my children at holidays or birthdays, I am the one who receives a text message asking what they want. (laughs) I am the one who receives the text message saying, can you please bring this to the dinner? That Mm. that doesn't go to him. Um, Even when it's his family? Even when it's his family, yeah. Um, And I think that that 
is because of this larger narrative that we're playing into where the mom is the default and the dad is the babysitter. And I think that does such a disservice to dads as well. Like, you know, as they've told us straight up, like, we don't want to be... We don't want to be considered doing something good just for being parents. Um, and we also don't want, I mean, most dads, they don't want their partner's lives to be made harder because not. someone else yeah. made the assumption that, oh, the wife is the one who's going to be bringing the food. So we right. should we should contact her. I think that's real. It's really tricky for them. And then also, this is actually something our producer, who is a dad, mentioned when we were talking about this episode is he said, you know, it also gives dads an out when they need one to say, oh, well, you know, mom will handle that. The kid's upset. Yeah, mom will Katie. handle that. Yeah. Or the kid's Go upset. Go ask your mom. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Go ask your mom. Or even, you know, if a kid starts crying, you know, there's this pause yeah. between the parents. Well, it depends on the cry. Mm-hmm. There are certain cries where both immediately jump into action because it's clear that, like, someone's hurt, something's wrong, we mm-hmm. need to handle it. Someone's but bleeding. then there's this, like, whiny cry that probably just means the child is overstimulated, overtired, maybe they're hungry. And so it's not that it's an emergency. It's just that they need parental mm-hmm. support. And there's there's this pause, I think, in most families of, like— Who's going to go and do it this time? And I think the point that Jeff, the, our producer, was making was, you know, it, this narrative does give dads too easy and out in these situations to say, well, I think you should handle it because they're going to need you more. Um, that plays out differently in different relationships. Um, I definitely know people where that is very much the standard. Um, and I think it comes from these narratives, these ideas um, that dads are helpers and they're not, and most of them don't want to be. Yeah, I think it's important too to acknowledge that economically, most women are working full-time jobs too, right? So the norm used to be for wives to stay at home yes, and men to go to work, right? But now that both people are trying to make it work in an economy where inflation is just insane, right? Yes. Um, or women have career goals, which is amazing. Now, you know, women are not only the default parent, but they're also working, you know, 40 or 50 hours a week. I was talking to someone about this so recently. She was just telling me, she was like, I feel like I'm failing. And she's a stay-at-home mom and also a work-from-home mom Mm -hmm. and also pregnant for, and she was saying, I just feel like I'm failing. Like, I can't do all the things. And I said, you know, what we have to remember, and I was reminding myself as much as I was reminding her, really, was... The 40-hour work week was designed with the assumption that there were two parents in a household. One Mm. was male and one was female, and the male was at work for 40 hours a week. And when he came home, the housework was done and the meals had been prepared and cooked. And so he wasn't carrying that extra load because at that point, it really wasn't part of his job. But now— The 40-hour plus work week is common for both parents, and so we've got to find the ways to reestablish the balance in the household and the relationships and also to rebalance that overarching ideology, which is really what's putting the pressure here to begin with. I just want to acknowledge, too, that if you're staying at home, you are doing work. It is just not paid work. Right. (laughs) Right. So this, I think, is one of the really big problems that moms run into from this narrative 
is that they can't get it right. So if you're a working mom, I'm a working mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And I work now away from home. I used to work from home and with young children. That was very difficult. But since I've started working out of the house, I am asked so much more often, well, when do you get to spend time with your kids? When do you see your kids? Like, I get this question a lot. It's like, I'm doing something wrong by just going to the office every day during normal business hours. Whereas— Does John ever get those questions? No. Um, what John got those questions, you know, he has been through, we all go through phases with our jobs where sometimes we're working more and sometimes we're working less. Mm -hmm. And he has been through phases where he was working more Mm -hmm. so much where I think he did sometimes get those questions. I know he got them from me, honestly, like, you know, you were staying home more. Well, no, um, no, but we did have a nanny and Mm -hmm. so we did have childcare, Um, But we had a nanny, and then I would come home from work, and then in a normal phase, we would both come home around the same time. And then when he would go into a busier phase, he might get home, you know, 10 minutes before Jack went to bed. And so in those phases, then we had to really shift to, like, you know— Poor guy didn't get weekends because mm. he he couldn't go do something with a friend on the weekend because he hadn't seen his Very kid. Nice. And so he needed to balance it. So, you know, I think that's really tricky. But then when we look at it from this default parent mental load angle, I think what we're seeing is these moms who think they're supposed to work 40 hours a week or in some cases 50 or 60 and they're supposed to still carry the load as the default parent and the default home manager and that's not how this system was designed. Mm-hmm. So that's why women are so stressed out. It's why out. they're so yeah. we're so stressed out all the time because we're trying to do more things than it. the human body was okay. designed to do. And that opens up so many conversations that we don't have time to do more than scratch the surface Mom, on, right? Yeah. About privilege and hired help and um, accepting, like recognizing the value of childcare as labor. You know, a working mom, I said, I'm yes. getting like, when are you seeing your kids? Do you spend enough time with them? And then the stay-at-home mom is getting, well, well what do you do all day? Oh, she must go get Manny petties when like the stay-at-home mom I stayed home for six months with Jack because of how my maternity leave was structured, and I was desperate. You almost went nuts. To go back to work. Like, I I literally cried. I was teaching at Georgia Tech in the time, and when I walked back into that building, I started crying because I was so happy to be back at work. Like, I was not made to be a Mm stay-at-home mom. My friend Mary Catherine is a stay-at-home mom to three children under the age of five, and I don't think anyone works physically harder than she does. does. Like, the people doing manual labor jobs are in a factory. It's hard. Are working the way that she is working as a state. So there's no way to win. Right. Um, And I think that's really where, where this becomes such a problem because— The woman can't win. She still has too many expectations. She still has too much to do. And the dads are stepping up to the plate a lot more, and they want to do more. 
And they are doing more in many cases. But they're still treated like babysitters. But they're yeah. still treated. They're not given they're no the value. They're changing tables in men's bathrooms. They're, you know? There are no yeah. changing tables in most men's bathrooms. Like, they're still not given, being given the opportunity to parent the way that they would that like to right. parent yeah. in many instances and that we want them. And that just sucks for everybody. It, that, it just yeah. sucks for everybody. And, you know, I think what what we have to really grapple with here in terms of like what can we do how do we change it is that it's that ideological shift Mm -hmm. right it's recognizing that we're living in a world where that's not we're still we're living in a work world that was created under the assumption that there was someone at home and in reality most people cannot have someone at home and i think this also speaks to like the devaluation of child care providers Mm -hmm. Right? Like, who is more poorly paid than a preschool teacher? Nobody. Nobody. Um, teachers at large, mm-hmm. but you know, especially those younger age children, I mean, daycare workers, it's we don't recognize the economic value of these jobs that take such an extreme physical toll. And so <sighs> there are just so many different elements, right? It's it's a struggle. It's a struggle for moms and for child care workers and for dads and for stay-at-home moms and for working moms and for, you know, same-sex couples in completely different ways and the fact that this ideology pretends they don't exist at all. Yeah, I was going to say, too, like, even when my partner and I, like, when we go through different phases, right, where she's really busy at work or I'm not or vice versa, our household still runs so much better when one person is not stressed to the max, right? Yes. Like when one person is able to take the time to do the dishes or the laundry or pick up at night when we're not completely exhausted, right? So in any situation, whether it's queer or um, heteronormative, you still benefit from somebody being able to rest. You benefit from the rest. You benefit from the me time, the downtime, Mm -hmm. But also then in a world of crazy inflation, how do we how do we even build that in? How do we hire the babysitters or do like it's it becomes very, very tricky. What would you suggest that what would be one good starting point to help people who want to, you know, scream when someone asks you, where is your husband when you're at the park with your kids? Yeah. Or who says like who's babysitting who's babysitting when you're 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 out. Maybe you are. Maybe you are getting that Manny Petty. And good for you <laughs> yeah, if you are. And they're like, hey, where are the kids? You know, I think what we need to do is— Maybe you should just say you just locked them in the trunk. I, I, ju- I just locked <laughs> I, I left them at home by themselves. Yeah, exactly. um, I think my six-year-old is old enough to babysit my toddler. He's currently um, making a grilled cheese sandwich. And it's, it's going to be fine. Um, that's what I should tell them. I, I mean, and uh, we jest, but also, <laughs> like, there's an extent to which you want people to realize the absurdity of the question. Like, I have a partner— and not everyone is lucky enough to have a partner. But if you know me and you know that I have a partner, like— Oh, yeah. We didn't even touch on single moms. We didn't even yeah. touch on single moms. And this gets so tricky for them. We'll have to bring a single mom onto an episode mm. to talk about this in another season. But, um, yeah, I think I think we start by remembering that people who are lucky enough to have two-parent households with involved parents are— in most, I believe, cases, striving to be partners um, in parenting and in home life. Um, And I think 
you know, we need to, yes, there are, there are some dads out there who don't pull their weight and yeah, but what are if terrible. Yeah, but just give them the benefit of the doubt. There are also moms right? out there who also don't pull their oh, weight. Like, yeah. you know, so I think that's exactly what it is. It's, I think we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. We need to extend them to them the grace of saying they're trying their best. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to recognize that the world does not operate in the way that our structures have designed them mm-hmm. to operate. And so I think that's actually where the biggest change needs to come is these institutional structures. We need things like more adequate leaves for mom's bodies to heal after birth. Affordable child care. More affordable child care that compensates mm-hmm. the child care providers because the job they're doing is tremendously valuable. And we need, honestly, we need partner leave. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the key indicators of postpartum mood disorders is lack of sleep mm-hmm. and a lack of support. So that's two key indicators. And when we're the only, quote, unquote, wealthy, I'm going off, like, a list of, like, the top 70 wealthiest countries in the world, the United States is the only one that doesn't offer partner leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what that's doing is reinforcing the notion that the mom is the default parent. Oh, yeah. And the mom is supposed to be doing the main job. And it's leaving her unsupported, often at a time when the partner would probably love to continue supporting home. her. Yeah. We, you know, we have friends who have had babies in European countries, and the dads have just, I mean, doted on how close they got to be with their kids when they had partner leave and when they got to take months off. And sometimes the way a lot of them take it, it's not even all at the same time as the mom. Maybe they take like a month or two in the beginning to support her recovery, and then oh, the mom yeah, takes the more, system, and then yeah. they switch. Yeah, that's the—and so— These are the kinds of systems I think that are going to allow us to change the narrative. But how we go about starting those systems, I mean, yeah, you can sign petitions and you can talk to people. But I think also you just have these conversations. You just tell these stories and you, you, yeah, or you look at people and say, you know, why, why are you asking that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. We we openly acknowledge maybe this shouldn't be the default assumption that Mm -hmm. my husband is babysitting the kids or that I should be home with them. I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Undefining Motherhood podcast. It's been an honor to share this time with you. Remember, you're not just a listener. You're an essential part of our community. If today's conversation resonated with you, I have three simple requests for how you can help us grow. First, subscribe wherever you listened so you don't miss an episode. Second, we'd love it if you could leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast as that's one of the most important ways we can grow and share our message and community. And finally, we'd love to hear from you. Jump over to Instagram and find us at Undefining Motherhood where you'll see a post about this week's episode where we can continue the conversation. Thank you for being a part of the Undefining Motherhood community where together we're making change. Until next time, take care of yourself and each other.